Hello and welcome to Modern Homemakers. I'm here with Donna. Donna has been teaching us since 1987. Oh my gosh, am I that old? <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> lot, Leah. A <laughs> lot of knowledge and um, insight for all of us. So we're here today to talk about Lent and another aspect of Lent is pauses for Lent. Pauses for Lent. And for those of you who are just joining us, um, this is Leah Parker, who I've known for many years and whose mother was very influential, continues to be in the work of encouraging women who are wives and mothers and homemakers and women trying to find their way. So having her across the production desk is really terrific. Thanks, Leah. So nice to have you. Yes, Lent. Now that's a word that... mm, Part of the Christian community, probably more than half of the Christian community, doesn't use. Uh, And we don't use it because we're mostly not liturgical churches. So I sort of divide up churches between those who have a liturgy and those that don't. Today, a lot of churches are trying liturgical pieces. But it was a habit of the church, the church, who was the first church, Um, to set aside time. Now, I've been reading the book of Acts for my own personal studies, um, reading it in a number of translations, and using a brand new, got for my birthday, a commentary on the book of Acts. It's quite remarkable when you read it and think about the church in 2023 and the first church. And it's quite remarkable to recognize that we are all still human beings trying to gather together and be church. But many years ago, I started by saying we need to set a time aside to celebrate these two events of the life of Christ, his birth and his death and resurrection. So preparing for Easter was 40 days of preparation. And I provided things that were good for moms, for families, for children, for individuals. I've encouraged you to join churches that do have what is called an Ash Wednesday service, which starts the 40 days. And the 40 days does not include Sundays because Sundays are feast days days that we are to rest and feast and have communion in our churches. So it's 47 days from Ash Wednesday till Resurrection Sunday Easter. So we've been talking about that the last few weeks. We're in the second full week of our preparation for Easter. I uh, find that for me, it's a time that I begin to long for because I have a rhythm in my life, in my calendar year. Most families have a rhythm of work and rest and school. Now, I think one of the dangerous things that has happened in our culture is that we're losing that sense of rhythm. Uh, School, they're very strongly trying to encourage all school systems to be on a 12-month basis. They're, they're not having a great success with it yet, but it's, it's coming. It looks like it's moving slowly, but will one day be a school system that's 12 months long, and there'll be two-week periods of vacation instead of long summer vacations, which has been a problem for the working couple who has children. And that's, that's part of what's triggering this. The second 
second uh, piece of the rhythm is a time we take aside to celebrate. We do celebrate during Christmas from Thanksgiving, which is an American holiday, to Christmas, which is a universal celebration of the birth of Christ. We celebrate. A lot of people don't celebrate the birthday of Christ at all. They just celebrate Christmas. There's a lot of partying and gifting and decorations and festivities. It's a wonderful, joyful time. And then uh, we move into the springtime of life. And again, we have another opportunity to pause and reflect on what we're about to celebrate. When I use the word celebrate, I always want to say celebrate the resurrection. I know it was necessary for Christ to be crucified. That was part of the plan. But I also know that there's nothing in me that can celebrate that. And I often think about Mary, the mother of Jesus, who has this incredible union with a child that's not conceived in normal ways, who comes out of her womb through the birth canal like a real human being that he was. And then she is alone at the cross watching Jesus be crucified. It, it takes my breath away. I, I, I can't, there are no circumstances that I could conceive my watching my only child, I have just one daughter, uh, be killed, to be crucified. Now, she knew that there was something extraordinary about him, and we are not privy to all the private conversations that she and Jesus had, but the pain and suffering that he incurred on the day of his crucifixion to be silent for those days until the resurrection is why we celebrate during this time. And we take time to pause. We take time to be quiet. I talked a few days ago about how important, um, what was the name of that lesson? I forgot what, what we called it. Uh, why, why it was good for my brain. Lent is good Lent for your brain. Lent is good for your brain. Yeah, that's right. Because it causes you to at least consider being quiet. So. Uh, it's good for our brain. And this class, which I'm te teaching today, is about the word pause. Okay, think about how you use that word in a sentence. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot, Leah. Think about how you use the word pause if you're talking, let's say, to your children. And I'm going to say that when I think of the word pause, I'm I, I always want to use it with someone I'm meeting with who seems to be about to leap into something they're not sure about. Mm. And I'll say, I think you should pause and reconsider this. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a phrase I use frequently. And I think that I was thinking about the class today, and I, I think that's because we don't have a lot of pauses. No. We don't have a lot of commas in our sentences or our lives. So how do you use the word pause in your life? I think in that reference, I use more of a, let's take a breath. Let's take a pause to... Take a breath. Yes. Give our heart and our emotions a chance to either settle down or catch up to where our brains are, or just, um, to me, it's more about integration of mm. where we are physically with where we are emotionally mentally all of it just mm -hmm. like okay we need a second to catch up to ourselves mm -hmm. that's very good very good and it reminds me you know the old covenant and the new covenant say the same 
love the Lord your God with all your heart. Mm-hmm. So here you are doing it. That's the pause. Let all that love you have for God be demonstrated in all places. And sometimes we fly off on one of them. Very good, very good. Where the word pause is uh, to interrupt an action or speech briefly. She paused at a loss for words. I wonder how many hundreds of times I've done that here in the studio. Oh, what do I say next? Do I have a note there? Did I miss something? Um, Or temporarily... Um, interrupt the observe, uh, the operation of something. Uh, the, when I thought looked at that uh, definition, I thought, I thought of my dry cleaners. I don't know why we still have clothes that need dry clean. I don't know about your house. None. She has no clothes that need dry clean. <laughs> Not really. You you're see how smart, I show up. You're the smart person. Yes, you do look comfortable. Well, I think I'm comfortable too, and it's a different style for sure. But the the plant was shut down. They had to mm. pause. They had to pause their work of dry cleaning. She pauses um, in her speech, or um, there's a pause in the rainfall. I was thinking of places where it sort of stops, but maybe not for a long period of time. Or you push the pause button on your TV controller. Um, the remote control. And it's only been in the last 10 years that I've been willing to pick up a TV remote control because I look at them like I look at a lot of technology. Now I'm making myself much less technological than I am. I can record and I can find and I can switch from one server to another. But there's a pause button on the remote control because sometimes we're watching something, we need to take a pause to go do something else. We don't want to miss it. So take a breath. Take a pause. Create a space. I mentioned just recently this notion, uh, and I believe the attribution would be to Amy Carmichael. What is a mountain in the middle of the night is a molehill in the morning. At 2 o'clock in the morning, whatever it is I'm fussing over, it's much worse than it will be if I go to bed and rest and wake up in the morning. What is a mountain in the middle of the night is a molehill in the morning. And I have been introduced to a young man. Well, he's younger than I am, but he's been around for a while. He's a teaching preacher um, in South Africa. He's a part-time professor in a uh, what is equal to a seminary in South Africa. His name is Trevor Hudson. And he has written several books that I have enjoyed. And the one I'm referring to is literally called Pauses for Lent. And he has chosen 40 words, 40 words that divide you into topics to pause about, just to pause and think about them. So I chose four of these 40 words for our time together today. And the first word was bread. And we're very familiar with the Lord's Prayer. And he, we ask him to give us this day our daily bread. In the prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples, he invites them. He teaches them to ask for daily bread. This request points out and points us toward our utter dependency on God. We, we've forgotten that. We're going to get another job. We're going to go to the food bank. There are many ways we sustain ourselves. But his intention was to teach us to ask 
God to give us this day our daily bread. And what specific things do we honestly need right now? Is it always bread? No, it isn't always bread. It seldom is bread. Um, those who have a difficulty in making the monthly payments, it is daily bread. But we're to ask our heavenly parent for whatever it is we need this day. And of course, when we pray this, we also must look beyond ourselves and our own needs because it is possible to pray for our daily bread without painful awareness awareness of those who do not have bread of their own or whatever else we might be petitioning God for. So I want to ask you to consider these four words which I'm going to give you today, the first one being bread, that today or in the next 40 days, when you pick up a piece of bread, whether it's a sliced piece of bread out of a package or a muffin or roll, or if you're a homemade bread expert, I want to live next door to you for sure, um, take that piece of bread in your hand, eat it, take a bite of it, and give thanks to God who gave you this daily bread. The second word is a more um, difficult word, I think, and that's the word stranger. Stranger. Hmm. I think when I say stranger this day, what do I think of? Danger? Stranger danger? Be careful. Don't speak to people who you don't know. And I refer to Matthew chapter 25, verse 35, and it's Jesus saying, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Lee and I talked a couple of days ago about hospitality and how we welcome people into our home. And this lovely definition that I've recently come in touch with is that hospitality gives an opportunity for love to grow. If I'm not hospitable to you, it's, it's most likely not going to happen. So he was a stranger and we welcomed him. And there are many people in this world who feel like strangers. I particularly think of the refugees in our country. And a few weeks ago, I came into my husband's study with tears in my face and my eyes, and he said, what is it, honey? And I said, in all my life, I have never wanted to go into a dangerous situation, a war zone, an epidemic zone. But I said, I want to get on the plane and fly to the Ukraine and cross over the border and help some family that I would just find. Now you know that my emotions were running very strong. And I don't believe the Lord's calling me to do that. But I was reminded of this word stranger and refugees and aliens. And Jesus refers to himself as a stranger, as an alien in a foreign country. Jesus and the New Testament writers emphasize regularly welcoming the stranger, preparing for the stranger. The writer of Hebrews maintains that when we show hospitality to strangers, we may entertain angels unaware. And one of those versions of that passage says that we are to be hospitable without grumbling or complaining. Grumbling or complaining, oh, you invited who for dinner? And how many are coming? grumbling and complaining. It's a lot of work to do it. And I find the older I get, 
the more convinced I am. People don't care what you cook. People don't care what their table looks like. Well, not not people, but generally, those are not the important things. The important things that you, a human being, your family's invited someone into your home, which is a very special space to you, and they're being included in that. So welcoming the strangers and looking around in your community for Ukrainian, Ukrainian refugees or... Um, What's the, what's the, um, the alien population from the Middle West, from the Middle East? The Muslim, no, not, it's not Muslim. It's but the country of... Afghanistan? Afghanistan. Thank you, Leah. I could not come to that. Afghanistan refugees. Uh, we have a close friend, a couple, who we have known for 45 years. And he is a Lebanese descent and he walked by a hotel in Phoenix that the whole hotel had been taken over by Afghan refugees. And the community was supporting them. And they got invested with one family, just one family, one husband, one wife, one mother, one father, and three children. Oh, what a joy it is to hear them talk about these strangers in their close and personal places. So as you go through the day, Look for a stranger in your midst. Eat a piece of bread with a stranger. Maybe it's a new colleague at your work. Maybe it's a visitor at the church. I always love it when I go up to someone and I say, are you visiting us? And they say, no, we've been here for a year. And I say, well, I missed that, but I want to welcome you anyway. So don't be afraid to um, entertain strangers. Uh, the passage again, Matthew twenty-five thirty-five. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And then water, water. In John chapter 4, 13 and 14, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give will never be thirsty. The water that I will give you will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Oh, we live in the desert. And a lot of people in the desert have swimming pools. And I, I know they're expensive and getting more expensive. But in many ways, they are life sustainers because our temperatures are so hot. And um, it's so refreshing to get in even a a pool full of warm water. Now, we don't have a pool anymore, and we've missed that water that rushes over us. And even in the hottest day, when you get out of the pool, the air is so much cooler to your body because your body is wet. So water is a powerful image, and Jesus uses it to describe himself. And when Jesus calls himself our living water, he means for it to satisfy our deepest, deepest thirst. Not only does this water quench our thirst, but it also becomes like a spring bubbling up inside of us. Think about how, how you feel when you've taken a refreshing glass of water. It's bubbled down and refreshed you and you turn to someone. There's a difference. I think about my hiking. We love to hike these mountains and hills in our city and community and when I'm through there's always a cold bottle of water in the car and I drink that water down with such hunger and thirst and I feel so refreshed. 
a very famous um, theologian. Uh, his name was Jean Vanier. He asked the question, for what do you thirst? For what do you thirst? He points out that to be thirsty in biblical language is to be dried up on the inside, to feel totally empty and in anguish. To be thirsty is to long for love, acceptance, affirmation. In other words, it is to thirst for a heart-to-heart connection with the living and loving God. And I, I feel today that I want to ask you that question. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for a connection with a living God, the living and loving God who we've been talking about on this podcast for 17 or 18 years now? He invites us, Jesus invites us. And as we prepare for these days of crucifixion and then resurrection, I can't help but call us to remember that that crucifixion was a symbol, was an act that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit agreed as a trinity that the sacrifice of one life would be the sacrifice for all lives if we came to Jesus and recognized that he had given his life for each of us. I'm glad I made that decision. I made it many years ago, and it was one decision. Since then, I've made many decisions that have fostered a spiritual growth in me. I don't think it's a one-time event, but I think there is a one time when we suddenly turn our direction a bit more, and maybe that's the time for you. And while we are a long way from one another, if you're in Vietnam or Japan or England, um, I want to say to you today, Today would be a good day to recognize that you thirst and that Jesus is the water that will renew your life. And perhaps during the rest of Lent time, whenever you drink water, you might say a prayer. Lord, in my thirst for you, give me your water of life. Well, I'm Donna Otto, and I have loved talking to you about Lent today. It is one of my favorite seasons. It's a change point for me. I look forward to stopping and starting and doing things different. I'm going to talk about the week of week baskets. That will be honest before we know it, and we've got to get that resource out to them also, Leah. But we'll talk about that and how each day, like I've been giving you in these early days of our preparation, there'll be an item to remind you of the resurrection. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to close the time today. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of longing for thirst.